We pick up in verse 1 of chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge the angels? How much more than the matters pertaining to this life? Verse 4, he says, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Verse 7, he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 11, he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our Spirit of God. You may be seated. This is the Word of God. Why is it, though, as Paul is writing into this section about lawsuits and court, as we're continuing in our series through 1 Corinthians, why is it that when someone does something wrong to us, or against us, that the first thought that we have is, I'll see you in court. You know, why is that the first reaction when someone has defrauded us or done something against us or to us, do we automatically think, well, I've got my lawyer on speed dial, I'll call him or her, and buddy, I'll see you in court. You know, we are a very lawsuit-happy country. It's reported that over 40 million lawsuits are filed in the United States every year. 40 million lawsuits every year in the United States. We have 1.4 million registered lawyers, according to the Bar Association, in the United States. We are a very see-you-in-court type of culture. And here's what I love about the Bible. Because if you've been with us at all in this series of 1 Corinthians, and maybe you're new with us, so we'll catch you up just a little bit here. Here's what I absolutely love. The Bible is so relevant to today. And this letter that Paul wrote was written over 2,000 years ago to a people halfway across the world who have a very different culture than we do, but are going through the exact same things that we often go through. See, Paul's addressed the issue of churches that are experienced disunity. And just like churches in America, there's times we divide and we're disunified and we fight. Paul also went over how the culture around Corinth was a culture that said, ah, what Jesus does is foolish. And this doesn't make any sense. That you don't need this guy named Christ. We have that same type of culture today that says, oh, you know, Jesus, it doesn't matter. You make your own way to God. Paul also pointed out, as we saw uh, through this series, is that the churches sometimes are starting to lose their focus. 
that their main mission has been abandoned of sharing the gospel and making disciples. And so they're raising up secondary issues to be primary issues. Churches do that today. And then here in this passage, Paul is showing you that the, the culture of Corinth was just like our culture in which their first response, whether they are a Christian or a non-Christian was, hey, you've done something wrong against me. I'll see you in court. Here's why this passage matters. And here's what I want you to get in your head and your heart and to live out today. And, and this really kind of lands us right in the laps of our practical everyday lives. And it's this. How you act as a Christian matters to a watching world. Okay? How you act as a Christian matters to a watching world. Now, we'll, we'll leave that on the screen for you a moment if you're writing that down. How you treat one another, how you speak of one another, how you act toward one another matters to a world that's watching what Christians do. Paul picks up in verse 1, and he says, when you have a grievance against another, if you have a NIV version, it will say the word dispute. So if you have a, a grievance or a dispute against one another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Now, when he uses that term grievance, dispute, uh, drop down in verses 7 through 8, you see the terms defraud there in 7 through 8. So we're, we're picking up on maybe this is not something criminal. This may be something civil between parties. This could be a bad business dealing. Uh, somehow someone has swindled someone out of some money. All right. And so Paul's saying when those things type happen, why are you running to the court system as your first priority? Why are you running that way as your first reaction? Because he says, why do you dare? And that's almost just a, a, a term right there that's a shocking term. How dare you? Go to the law before the unrighteous. Now, when he says unrighteous, he's going to speak of lawyers. He's going to speak of judges there. But I want to be real, real careful. We are not saying this morning, all lawyers are bad, right? We are not saying this morning, all judges are bad. Right? We have attorneys within our church. We have judges within our church. And we love them, right? So not all attorneys are bad. Not all judges are bad. That's not what Paul's saying. There will be no lawyer jokes this morning if you're waiting for one. All right? We're going to stay away from that. But the principle Paul's showing us is why when someone does something to you is the first reaction, I'll see you in court. Because did you notice the analogy he gave you in verses 2 through 4? He gave you two of you there. He gives you two analogies. He says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world's to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? So how much more than matters pertaining to this life? So why then, he says in verse 4, if we have the capabilities that the Bible says at the end times, believers will participate in judging non-believers with Jesus, that believers will participate with Jesus in judging angels, can we not settle disputes among ourselves? 
So if we have that ability that God has given us, that one day functionally in the end, we will be a part of judging unbelievers with Jesus and judging angels with Jesus, why can we not sometimes settle matters ourselves without going to the court system? Now, some of you are already thinking a lot of practical questions here, and I have them with you. When you say, whoa, 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 hang on. In the end times, we judge unbelievers along with Jesus, and we judge angels? I mean, you're, you're thinking about that right now, right? Like, how does that work? How does it work that I, I judge angels? I judge unbelievers in the end times? Here's, I'm going to explain how this works, all right? And so if you're, you're taking notes, here's, how, here's everything I know about how this is practically going to work in the end times. Are you ready? I don't know. I've got zero clue how that practically happens. So I'm going to save you text messages. I'm going to save you an email. If you think, oh man, I'm going to text him later. How this works. How do I judge unbelievers in the end times with Jesus? I'm going to text back, I don't know. All right. You know, if you email me that, I have no clue how we judge angels. All I know is the Bible says in many places we do. So if there's like a sign-up sheet in the millennial kingdom of where we get to sign up for to be a part of that, I'm signing up for the Caribbean, okay? So like if I'm getting a spot where Jesus is like, where do you want to be over to judge angels and, you know, unbelievers? Caribbean, can I put it down, right? I mean, so I'll still be happy if it's Antarctica, all right? Like if I get assigned Antarctica, way better options than others. So I'll still be okay with that. But I don't know how it works but Paul just says one day it's going to work. And so if we have that ability to do that, then why are we not trying to settle the cases ourselves before we go to court? Because how we treat one another matters to a watching world. And here's why it matters. Because our world sees brokenness. Our world understands division. Our world understands fighting. Our world understands all those things perfectly. But when we cannot work out issues ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are showing the world that Jesus really does not change lives. See, this is why it matters. Because some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, it's my walk with Christ and I'll do what I want to do. And you may be pushing back on that. And I don't care what somebody thinks about me. Well, no, you need to think about what you're doing and what you're putting off as a believer in Jesus because somebody's watching you. And it does matter how you treat other people. Because if you're saying, well, you know what? I want to see you in court and you're one of the most divisive people, then you're really showing Jesus doesn't solve anger problems. That Jesus doesn't heal relationships. And so if you and I are not careful about how we treat others, then you are emptying the power of the message of the redemption and restoration work of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says what he says in verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. So he's saying, listen, if you've got to have lawsuits already where you're taking it out to court, that's already a defeat but you know how litigation works. In litigation, there's a winner and there's a loser. And so if you've got to take a case to court, one side's going to win, one side's going to lose. But Paul says no matter, 
as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to take our cases to court with one another. We both lose. Whether you won the case or you not, you lost. That's why he says something honestly that if you've already read and paid a little bit of attention this morning, is super uncomfortable, isn't it? There's tension in the back half of verse 7. Are you ready for it? Because here's what he says. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Isn't there tension there? Isn't that in your mind, in your heart right now? You're feeling, whoa, hang on, Paul. (laughs) Because we're people that we don't like to give up our rights. We're people where we assert our rights. Isn't that who we are as a culture? We assert our rights. We don't give them up. We are people that are good-bred Americans who say we have the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? And man, we want to assert that every chance we get, the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's why in 2020, there was a lot of people who go, whoa, you're going to tell me what to put on my face? Hang on. I have the right to liberty and life and pursuit of happiness. Who are you to tell me to wear some cloth thing over my mouth? Because most people didn't wear it over their nose anyway, right? So it was just kind of, <laughs> it's like hanging down. So when those things happen, we're like, no, 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 no. You can't tell me to do that. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. This is going to get really awkward and uncomfortable for many of us. Because in chapters 8 through 10, Paul says it this way. There are times where the best thing for you to do is surrender your rights. There's times the best thing for you to do to win somebody to Christ is surrender them, to give them up. Now, there's times in order to win somebody for Jesus, you might have to say, you know what, I've got the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but, but right now, because I want to try to win you to Christ, I'm going to surrender those. I'm going to lay those down. And so when you get into verse 7, that's what he's getting at. That there are times we might have to surrender some of those rights in order to try to attempt to win a brother or sister to Christ. Show what it means to be a believer in Jesus. Because Jesus says this in John 13, 34 through 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you have love for one another. Just as I love you, you're to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's the by this In the verse, how do people know you're a follower of Jesus if you love one another? So it matters how you act. It matters how you treat people to a world that's watching. Now, how then do we, though, use the court system? How then do we rightly use lawyers? Because Paul is not saying in this chapter, don't ever use the courts. He's not saying don't ever use a lawyer. Because understand, there was times Paul used the court system. And one of those times was in Acts chapters 21 through 23. You can read the narrative and the story later. But essentially, he comes into a new area, and he's going to preach the gospel. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, when he comes in a new area, and he's showing up to preach the gospel, he's going to be in jail pretty quick for doing it. 
You know, and so I've always said that Paul probably, when he came in a new area, he's not like, let me go check out the hotel around town. Let me just see what the jail cell's like, right? <laughs> like, just show me to the jail because that's where I'm going to end up spending the night anyway, because I'm going to share Jesus. I'm going to make some of you mad. And I'm going to get arrested. So he's in a new area. He's sharing Jesus. And sure enough, an uproar happens. Paul gets arrested. Well, as he's before the courts, there's times where the Roman soldiers start beating him in this narrative. Now, the Roman soldiers, it was illegal to beat another Roman citizen by birth for certain crimes. And so here is Paul, and he's being beaten by these Roman soldiers, and he's like, whoa, 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 guys, you're beating another Roman citizen. And I'm not a Roman citizen because I purchased my citizenship. I'm a Roman citizen because I was born as a Roman citizen. And the, the guards go, whoa, hang on. What then do you want us to do, Paul? And Paul says, let's go to court. Let's take this to the courts. So there are times where it is appropriate to use the court system. There are times it's appropriate to use a lawyer. And so let me give you a few of those instances quickly this morning. And then Pastor Matt and I did a podcast this past week that's going to release on Wednesday where we take this passage and go a little deeper in different scenarios that you may want to check out. But first, I want you to understand there are times that it's okay to use courts, okay to use lawyers, especially if it's a criminal matter. If it is a criminal matter, it is okay to always involve the proper authorities. This is somewhere churches have failed miserably in the past. Churches of various sizes, of various denominations throughout time, at times have not done well with this when it's something criminal. And speaking of just, again, different denominations where they have mishandled, and including our Southern Baptist denomination, they've mishandled at times sexual abuse allegations within a church, whether that allegation was toward a staff member, a volunteer, or a member. There are times when criminal things like that have happened where churches have said, well, wait a minute, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 church discipline, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're not supposed to go to court, so we will handle that investigation ourselves inside. And, and we'll just make sure that doesn't happen again, and we'll handle this inside, and we won't involve the authorities. I think that is dead wrong, and I think that's dead wrong in understanding 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. We have policies and procedures in place at our church that if there is ever an allegation of sexual abuse toward a, a member of our church, a staff member, a volunteer that happens during any of our activities, that we will involve the local authorities. And we will not block any investigation, and we will help that investigation go through to the end until the truth emerges. That's our pledge, because if it's criminal then we as believers in Jesus Christ, we always should involve the proper authorities. Secondly, as a believer in Jesus, don't be afraid to use an attorney. All right, there are times that as believers in Christ, it's okay to use an attorney. Uh, maybe you're in a business dealing with someone, you're setting up a business, or you're doing some type of business transaction where you need some legal documents looked at and made. That's perfectly okay to use an attorney. Maybe there are some custody issues if, if a marriage is ending uh, where you need to sit down and, and talk about custody things. 
that's okay to bring two attorneys to the table and work those documents out. You know, we, we had an instance in our lives in, in 2020 uh, that stemmed back from late in 2019, but our son James began a therapy program up in Pearland. And when we started that therapy, uh, you know, of course, the therapy verified with insurance, and they come back to me, and they say, okay, we've talked to insurance, and insurance says, here's what your copay is going to be. I was like, okay, that sounds great. We sign all the documents. Well, then I start getting the bills, you know, about a month later. We didn't have to pay the copay every time we came. They said, we'll just bill you for the copays. All right, great. So I get my first bill in, open it up. I'm like, whoa. They billed me for twice each time of what the copay was that they said the copay was going to be. All right. So I'm doubled every time I go. We were going four days a week. Right? That's adding up pretty quick. So I call them, hey, copay's wrong. We agreed to this figure and you charged me double. Oh, well, no, no, that's not our fault. That's insurance. Okay, no problem. Call insurance. Hey, the copay's wrong. You guys said this and you're billing me this. Oh, no, that's not our problem. That's the therapy's problem. Okay. You know, you see how this game went <laughs> for months. Hey, this side said you're wrong. No, no, this side said you're wrong. This side said you're wrong. So now I'm getting all these bills. I had to call the therapy place. I'm like, look, I'm not paying you guys a dime until we get this copay thing right. And they're like, oh, no, no, go on and pay us. We'll just credit you. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I ain't taking that plan, right? I'm like, no, no, you're not getting a dime until we get this right because this is months of bills now and it's double what I owe you. I'll pay you what I owe you. No, you're going to have to pay. So then the lady said, okay, if you don't pay, we're going to turn you over to a bill collector. I said, that's fine. That's great if you want to. I know a really godly lady in my church that's an attorney, and I'll call her. Yeah. And so I did. Hey, I need your help. Got it. I'll write you a letter. Guess what? It all worked out in the end. <laughs> and I paid the co-pays that we eventually agreed on. That's a proper use of an attorney. And so what Paul's saying is if there are times where you as believers in Jesus Christ can sit down and work something out without having to go to court, that's the best policy. That's the best way of doing it. Because as many of you know, if it goes into court, things sometimes can get a little nasty. And that brings us to the fourth way to look at this passage. And that's this, make sure your motivation is godly before proceeding to court. Make sure it's godly. Even though that person has torn you down, don't tear them down. Even though they may have slandered you, don't slander them. Even though they may have hurt you, do your best not to hurt them publicly. Trust in the judgment and the justice of God. And Paul's saying, if there's any way to avoid taking it publicly then try to work it out. Now, again, if it's criminal, always involve the proper authorities right away. How you treat the person matters. How you speak about them matters. Why? Why does this matter? Because notice in verses 9 and 11, where Paul says, here's who has the kingdom of God, and here's who doesn't. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gives us a list of sins that he gave us in chapter 5, but he's added a few here. 
He says, don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. When Paul gives you that list, those are not one-time actions. And notice also that list is not sins in isolation. Those are things you have done to someone or with someone. And so Paul is saying, listen, if this is the pattern of your life, if these are the things you're participating in, and there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit of it being sin, if there's no repentance of it, there's no turning from it, there's no trusting Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you do not have the kingdom of God. You can look at the list all you want, Paul would say, and you can justify, well, this is the way I feel. This is the way I think God would accept me. This is what God would say about me, and this is the God I want to worship. Then at that point, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You are worshiping your own made-up God, and he will not get you into the kingdom of God either. And so Paul's saying, if this is you, If any of these things are dominating you, there's no conviction, there's no repentance. You are standing in violation of rebelling against the word of God constantly in your life. Then you are showing you don't have the kingdom. But he's reminding us of the ones who do have the kingdom. Verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. So he says there at the beginning, some of you were doing these things. Some of these things were marking your life. Such were some of you, but you were washed. That speaks of regeneration, new birth, what Jesus says in John chapter 3, being born again. It's Jesus washing us from our sins. You were sanctified, being set apart from sin to a holy life. You were justified. That speaks of justification. When you come to faith in Christ Jesus, you are declared not guilty of your sin. So he says some of you were doing these things. This was your life, but that was you. But remember who you are now. You are regenerated. You're new in Christ. You have been sanctified, set apart from these things to live a holy life, and you have been justified, declared not guilty by Jesus for your sin. This morning, how you act matters to a watching world. Can I ask you where you see yourself in verse 11? Where do you see yourself? Is that you? I have been regenerated. I've been sanctified. I've been justified. Or do you look and you say, no, that's not me yet. There's certain things that are dominating my life. There's certain sins that I see in verses 9 through 10 that are dominating me. Now, some of you may be looking at that list and you're only seeing one of those sins. Or you're thinking, well, that's the one big cultural sin. But no, don't, re- don't skip all the other ones. How many of you right now are stealing from God's glory? How many of you are greedy in the sense that you have built your life and understanding of joy in life based on success with money? How many of you this morning are swindling someone else in a relationship, pretending to be someone you are not? 
How many of you this morning are practicing adultery in your mind, in your heart, even though you've never done the physical action? See, don't stare at that list and see the one cultural sin that the church always talks about and ignores the rest of them. Instead, look at that list and say, is this me or was this me? Because I met a man by the name of Jesus who changed me. That's who I was, but that's not who I am. You may never have anyone say, I'll see you in court. You may never have to appear before a judge in this lifetime. But the Bible tells us this, that when you die, you will stand in God's court. And he will be your judge. And he will render one of two verdicts, guilty or not guilty. The only way the not guilty verdict is rendered is if you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. To say, Jesus, I don't want these sins in my life. Jesus, I want you. And I'm going to follow you as the Lord and Savior of my life. This morning, how you act toward others matters to a watching world. Will you bow in prayer with me right where you are? I want to thank you for watching today's message. I hope that you found it encouraging and challenging to your faith. At Heights, our mission is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And right now, I want to encourage you, if you have never given your life over to Jesus Christ, placed your faith and trust in Him, then the Bible calls you to do that. And today, right where you are, you can place your faith in Christ and become a new believer in Jesus. You know, that's such an important decision that every person has to make. You know, one day you are going to stand before God and give an account of your life, to give an account of what you did with Jesus Christ in your life. And so I want to encourage you, just as Hebrews 4.12 says that today is the day of salvation, just right where you are, give your life to Jesus Christ. And the way that you can do that is through prayer. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10.13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you're interested today, in starting a relationship with Jesus, having your sin forgiven, finding forgiveness of your sin and new life with Christ that lasts for all of eternity, I want to encourage you to pray along with me. Let's pray together. Dear God, today I need Jesus as my Savior. I place my faith and trust in Him, in Him alone. Thank you for saving me. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, we'd love to be able to connect with you. If you'd like to go to heightschurch.org slash connect, let us know that you prayed. Let us know how we can pray for you. But the important step that you need to take is to let somebody know, today I started a new relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to come alongside of you and encourage you in that new direction in your life. We'd love to have you in person if you're able to make it at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you have any other needs, contact us at heightschurch.org connect. We'll be back in touch with you. Thank you for watching today's message, and I hope you have a great week.